you're going to ask you to stand, please, while our choir is getting ready for the next verse, and you turn in your songbook to page one. That's simple enough, isn't it? Page number one, my Savior's love. Join with the choir on this next verse. On the second. For me it was in the garden, he prayed not my will but thine. He handled tears for his own reasons, but sweat drops of blood for mine.
stand, shake hands with one another while the choir is dismissing. If you give your attention up here, please, to have the young ladies be baptized.
Despair 
King, it's good to see Pat here this morning, and pray for her as she's having to drive back and forth alone from way out there um, off of 27, and um, also Neil, Neil O'Neill's good report, she's been transferred now to um, healthcare in uh, Land Lakes, <clears throat> but continue to pray for her, she, she is able to stand and do some physical things now, um, but she's still got a long way to go, so remember her in prayer. If you have an unspoken request this morning, I can't remember all the needs that we have, just raise your hand, all right. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask his blessings on the offering and on these requests. Um, Brother Puckett, would you lead us in prayer? to 
Bibles to the book of Leviticus, second book in the Bible, the book of Leviticus, the 17th chapter. I wait until I hear the pages quit turning, but a lot of you now are using your phones instead of your Bible, and so I, I'm kind of thrown off. And when you found the scripture, <clears throat> should be able, should be too hard to find uh, today. Just second book in the Bible, Leviticus chapter 17, and I want to begin reading in verse 10, Leviticus 17, verse 10. And whatsoever man there be of the house of Israel or of the strangers that sojourn among you that eateth any manner of blood, I will even set my face against that soul that eateth blood and will cut him off from among his people. For the life of the flesh is in the blood. And I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that maketh an atonement for the soul. And you need to underline that sentence. It is the blood that maketh 
an atonement for the soul. Therefore I said unto the children of Israel, No soul of you shall eat blood, neither shall any stranger that sojourneth among you eat blood. And whatsoever man there be of the children of Israel or of the strangers that sojourn among you, which hunteth and catcheth any beast or fowl that may be eaten, he shall even pour out the blood thereof and cover it with dust. For it is the life of all flesh. The blood of it is for the life thereof. Therefore I said unto the children of Israel, You shall eat the blood of no manner of flesh, for the life of all flesh is the blood thereof. Whosoever eateth it shall be cut off. And every soul that eateth that which died of itself, or that which was torn with beast, whether it be one of your own country or a stranger, he shall both wash his clothes and bathe himself in water, and be unclean until the even. Then shall he be clean. But if he wash them not, nor bathe his flesh, then he shall, then he shall bear his iniquity." Back years ago, when, when I was a teenager, my my mother uh, got sick. I don't remember all the details of what was going on, but uh, that was uh, we grew. I grew up in Haines City, and back in those days, we didn't have a hospital. Uh, they had a a doctor's uh, place there that later they start. They called it Green's Clinic, <clears throat> but it was not a hospital. It was just a place where people would go to get checked out and things, and, and uh, but my mom had been taken there for, uh, because she'd got so weak that she could hardly stand up and couldn't go to work and all that, and and so they uh, they found that her she, her blood was low, and she was bleeding internally, but but there for a, a while, they, they couldn't find out why, where, why she was bleeding internally, but but she had lost so much blood that she had got to where she couldn't, uh, she couldn't, you know, couldn't walk about or anything. She was just so weak. And so uh, the doctors there didn't have a blood bank or anything, or no, no, no hospital, you know, where they'd store stuff like that, or, or no, you know, no way to get it there in a hurry. <laughs> and so the the doctors uh, told my dad, if uh, you need to, you need to try to find somebody that's got the same blood type as my mother's name was Betty and the doctor said as Betty has and and um, we'll, we'll just draw the blood from them and then go straight to her and so they checked out all the family I, I um, at the time I don't think my youngest sister was born yet I have three sisters I'm the oldest in the family um, but checked all the family, my dad and, and all the kids, and they found that my sister and I, Bobby, my oldest sister and I, both had the same blood type as my mom. And so they, they took us in, and they, they, they had my mom on a, on a cot there, and they brought out a couple of cot-type things or tables or something that, that they laid us on. And, and so then they began the procedure of drawing the blood out of our body, and uh, you could see it in the bottle, uh, the canister that was there. You could see the blood and it filled up. And then as soon as they had drawn the blood from us, then they switched and began to uh, pump that blood into my mom. When it all first started, she was unconscious. I don't know whether she was sedated or whether it was just because of her weakness that she was unconscious. But, but during the time that, that they began to put the blood into her, she began to move. And she, uh, and, and then she began to wake up. She opened her eyes, and and then she began to speak. And uh, I, I don't know, I, you know, at that time, I, I wasn't, you know, aware of anything uh, to do with blood and all that. But and so I don't know how much blood that they took from us. I wouldn't imagine it'd be a whole lot, because then we'd be in the same condition as my mom. But um, but as soon as they got the blood pumped into her, then she she woke up. She sat up, and then it wasn't long until uh, they were able then to you know try to find out what it was that had caused the 
loss of the blood. And, uh, and I, I don't remember, I, th I think she might have even gone home that same day or that same night. But, uh, but it, it, uh, it was an illustration to me that, that we can see how even just a few pints of blood can make a difference in whether a person lives or dies. The Bible says here the life of the flesh is in the blood. Did you ever think about that? I want us to consider in our message this morning, what is it, what is it about the blood? And I have three points. I'll go ahead and give them to you, and then we'll, we'll get into the message. And first, the first uh, point is the chemistry of the blood. The second is the necessity of the blood. And then the third is the sufficiency of the blood. So let's look first at the chemistry of the blood. Some of you may, some of you older folks may remember back uh, some years ago, a medical doctor who was also an evangelist wrote a book, The Chemistry of the Blood. His name was M.R. Hahn. And that became a very, uh, a very well-known, very famous book, The Chemistry of the Blood. Uh, in that book, he tells about, he, he talks about the origin, where, where it all started. And, of course, it began there in the Garden of Eden when God created Adam. He was the first human created by God. And the Bible tells us that God created Adam from the dust of the ground. In Genesis, the second chapter, in verse 7, it says... And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground. All the components for human life were now present <clears throat> in order for Adam to begin <clears throat> his new journey, journey called life. However, there was no life. He was, he was like a statue, just a, a uh, flesh, a fle statue made out of flesh. There was no life. He was perfectly formed. But no life. There was one thing that was lacking as we continue to read and find out that he did not have in him the breath of God. And so it says in the last part of verse 7, And God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Have you ever stopped to think about the breath of God? What was that? What was it like? We know that oxygen gives life to blood, but this was not mere oxygen. This was the breath of God. Man cannot live without the breath of God. You can pump all the oxygen into a dying person you want to, but when God takes away his breath, the breath of God, that person's life on earth is finished. In referring to his life here on earth, Job acknowledged that it was the breath of God that sustained him. In Job chapter 27, verse 3, he said, All the while my breath is in me, and the Spirit of God is in my nostrils. The Spirit of God is in my nostrils. That word, that word spirit, uh, those of you that have done in-depth study uh, about words, you know it comes from the, uh, the word pneuma. And, and that has to do with breath. It has to do with wind, uh, pneuma. And, and uh, so when he was talk, talking about the Spirit of God in his nostrils, he was talking about the breath, the breath of God. In Job chapter 33 and verse 4, he said, The Spirit of God hath made me, and, and the breath of the Almighty hath given me life. I cannot tell you what the connection is because I do not know. I have, I have studied this. I've read. I've, I've referenced. I've done um, everything that a human being can do to try to, to uh, find out what is the connection between the breath of God and the blood. But, but, but there has to be that breath of God or you cannot live. And the Bible says the life of the flesh is in the blood. It's in the blood. So, so its origin then uh, is it, it came, it was given by God. Until, until 
Adam had within him the breath of God, which has something to do with the blood, there was no life. There was no life. But it's not just the blood because uh, people die and they still have all their blood in them. So there's a connection. But I don't know, I don't know what it is, but there's a connection between the breath of God and the blood. So we've seen its origin. What about its composition? I, I was looking up uh, one time, and, and, I, and I found where a, a commentary was given by, by the University Hospital in Newark, New Jersey, about the composition of blood. And they said this, blood has both solid and liquid components that, that flow through an intricate system of vessels. The different solids found in the blood are red blood cells, which make up 45%, white blood cells, which make up less than 1%, and platelets, which make up less than 1%. All of these solids are suspended in a light-colored, sticky fluid called plasma, which makes up the remaining 54%. The human body... I, the doctor that I see was telling me one time, he, he claims he's a Christian, but he was telling me one time, he said, you know, I don't, I don't see how any medical doctor uh, would not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation because he said, uh, the more that you study about the human body, the more you become aware of there, there's a higher being than, than humanity. And there, there's somebody, there has to be somebody, some person, some being that made the human body because it could not just have evolved. It is so intricate. There, everything working together and there's such intricacies about the human body, there's no way it could have evoluted from a uh, tadpole or or, or whatever, a glob of plasma, there's no way. There had to be a grand designer. He said, therefore, I don't understand why any doctor would not be a Christian, why they would not believe in God and believe in Jesus Christ for salvation. But the, uh, the human body, it's an amazing piece of machinery the parts interwoven by the hand of God, the great physician. Modern science will readily admit that they're only now beginning to discover things that have been hidden from science for centuries. Of course, God knew all the time because he's the creator. In Romans chapter 11, verse 33, verse 33 it says, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. So the, the blood, the uh, chemistry of the blood, the second uh, thing I want to bring your attention is the necessity of the blood. Let's think first about the blood of man. We're reminded here in, in, in our passage that we read, for the life of the flesh is in the blood. You go to the doctor, you're sick, you go to the doctor, generally the first thing they do is draw a little bit of blood from you, isn't it? And it's amazing what a doctor or a lab technician can see when he looks at our blood under a microscope. I think if they were to look at a Floridian's, it'd be pure orange juice. But, uh, but anyway, um, they, they draw the blood because, because they have found out that that the blood will tell them what, what is wrong, what is going on, why they're sick, what the sickness is, and all those kind of things. Um, many of you may maybe have, have read back uh, our first president, George Washington, that back in that day that, that uh, they thought when a person came down with some illness that, that uh, they, they would drain their blood out. They drained their blood they, because they, they thought that that uh, that was the reason they would be sick is because uh, something wrong with the blood, so they drained it out. Well, they kept draining blood from George Washington until they actually killed him. Now, I know that 
the doctor, the medical society would not want to admit that today, even today, but that's what killed him. They drained his blood out because why? The life of the flesh is where? It's in the blood. The life of the flesh is in the blood. On a more, uh, getting back here to the, to the subject here, we understand the value of blood. We understand its importance in sustaining human life. Uh, some of you, I know you belong to a blood bank. You, you, you donate blood uh, once or twice or maybe even more often in a year. I used to belong to a blood bank until uh, they started asking you questions about if you had allergies. And so uh, if you had allergies, then they would no longer take your blood. And so I, I had to stop because I have allergies. But, but they'll they'll uh, they'll take the blood. It'll then be stored, and uh, they have the blood banks now, and, and they have uh, ways that they can they can keep the blood so that when a person needs it, uh, they can do blood transfusions. I wanna I wanna read to you a story. It was told by uh, Jeannie Elke Sowell. In a book entitled "Chicken Soup for the Mother's Soul," some of some of you ladies may be familiar with that with that book. <clears throat> but let me let me read you this uh, article that was taken from that book. Uh, she said, "There's a family story my father told me about his mother, my grandmother. In 1949, my father had just returned home from the uh, war, this World War II, <clears throat> and on every American highway you could see soldiers." in uniform, hitchhiking home to their families, as was the custom at that time in America. Sadly, the thrill of his reunion with his family was soon overshadowed. My grandmother became very ill and had to be hospitalized. It was her kidneys. And the doctors told my father that she needed a blood transfusion immediately or she would not live through the night. The problem was that grandmother's blood type was AB negative, a very rare type even today, but even harder to get then because there were, there were no blood banks, no air flights to ship blood. All the family members were typed, but not one member was a match. So the doctors gave the family no hope. My grandmother was dying. My father left the hospital in tears to gather up all the family members so that everyone would get a chance to tell grandmother goodbye. As my father was driving down the highway, he passed a soldier in uniform hitchhiking home to his family. Deep in grief, my father had no inclination at that moment to do a good deed. Yet it was almost as if something outside himself pulled him to a stop and he waited as the stranger climbed into the car. My father was too upset to even ask the soldier his name, but the soldier noticed my father's tears right away and inquired about them. Through his tears, my father told this total stranger that his mother was lying in the hospital dying because the doctors had been un unable to locate her blood type AB negative. And if they did not locate her blood type before nightfall, she would surely die. It got very quiet in the car. Then this unidentified soldier extended his hand out to my father, palm up. Resting in the palm of his hand were the dog tags from around his neck. The blood type on the tags was AB negative. The soldier told my father to turn the car around and get him to the hospital. And she added then, my grandmother lived until 1996, 47 years later. And to this day, no one in our family knows the soldier's name. But my father has often wondered, was this a soldier or was this an angel in a soldier's uniform, an angel unawares? And what an amazing story of God's mercy and intervention in the life of this person. And once again, it underscores the necessity and the value of this life-giving treasure. Now let me add this, as important as human blood is, and as necessary 
as it is to sustain life, we realize that human blood does have a defect. It will not sustain life beyond 70 or 80 years or so. There's something that human blood carries other than red and white blood cells, and it is man's sin nature. When Adam rebelled against God and disobeyed him, he became a sinner. And as a result, his blood became tainted with sin. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5, verse 12, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Men do not die because the body wears out, although that's partly true. Men die because they're sinners. The Bible says the wages of sin is what? Is death. You die because you're a sinner. Your blood is tainted with sin. God told Adam, In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, till thou shalt return unto the ground, for out of it was thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. I don't want to uh, be a bearer of bad news necessarily this morning, but I have to tell you this morning that you're going to die. Everybody is going to die. I was visiting a, a man in the hospital some years ago, back in the days when they still used the oxygen tents. They put a person under an oxygen tent instead of now today, they just stick the tubes in your nose. But uh, I was visiting this person while I was, while I was there. And uh, you remember, some of you folks may remember those, those oxygen tents. And you could zip open one side and lay the, 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 the part aside. And, and then, you know, you, you talk to the person or even touch him or whatever. Well, while I was there visiting with him, the doctor came in, and and so he, you know, I stepped aside, and he began to do his examination, and he checked him, checked him out and all that, and and the man, uh, the man said to the doctor, and he was, he was, you know, trying to be funny, but he said, doctor, am I going to die? And the doctor said, yes, you are. And, uh, and and the man said, oh, oh, you mean you mean I'm not going to get well? What are the chances that, that, that I'm going to die? He said, 100%. And, and you, you, know, you could tell the, the, the patient there, the guy, was, he was disturbed. You know, he was upset. And, uh, but the doctor turned and, you know, and half speaking to me and half speaking to him, he said, uh, uh, we're all going to die because the wages of sin is death and we're all sinners. And, uh, you know, and I thought, what's he doing? That's, I'm the one supposed to be saying all that. But, but the doctor told him, he said, uh, you're, you're going to die, but not from this. You're, you're going to, in fact, he said, I'm going to let you go home today. But he said, you're going to die. He said, you better talk to this man over here and find out how that when you do die, you can go to heaven. And so he opened up the way that I, I was able to lead the man to the Lord. But, but I, I, I thought, you know, um, what, a, what a way to tell a person that you need to get saved, you know. Um, and and I, I appreciate the fact that the doctor, you know, didn't, didn't pull any punches. And it's so true. We're all, your chances of dying 100%. There's, you're not going to get out of this world alive unless the rapture takes place. But uh, we're all going to die. The wages of sin is death. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But because death is certain and our blood is tainted with sin, what are we to do? What are we to do? Well, we must consider the blood of Christ. Let's keep in mind the blood of Christ is different than our blood. Our blood has the sin nature. His doesn't. No blood ever passed from a human father to Jesus. In Matthew chapter 1, the angel of the Lord said to Joseph, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her 
is of the Holy Ghost. We're told that the blood you have in your body came from the Father, human. But there was no human father with Jesus. He was conceived of the Holy Ghost. When Jesus died on that cross, the blood that he shed was divine blood, blood from heaven, not from earth. His blood was pure, not tainted with sin. Paul wrote in the book of Romans, much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. And again, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, it declares, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 26 and verse 28, for this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Maybe you're here this morning and you're someone who's never understood this truth that God's son shed his blood for you so that you might have eternal life. It's a precious message, isn't it? To know that Jesus shed his blood that I might be saved. Charles Wesley, the great 18th century hymn writer, hymn writer wrote, and can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Died he for me who caused his pain, for me who him to death pursued? Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldest die for me? Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldest die for me? That brings us into the third point, the sufficiency of the blood. First of all, it satisfies the demands of a holy God. The requirement for sin is death, physical death and separation from God. In Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 4, God said, Behold, all souls are mine, as the soul of the Father, so also the soul of the Son is mine. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. And here enters Jesus, the sacrificial lamb, our substitute. John said, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Jesus took our place on the cross. When God looked down on that old rugged cross, he heard the cry of his son, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? But God did not come to his rescue. God did not move a hand because Jesus was sent for that purpose to die for sinners. John 3.17 says, For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. In the book of Isaiah we read, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him, and the Lord, they're talking about God the Father, and to bruise him, that's Jesus. He hath put him to grief, when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. He shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the travail of his soul. That's talking about God the Father. He shall see the travail of his soul, talking about Jesus, on the cross, the travail of his soul on the cross, and God the Father shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. The sufficiency of the blood, it satisfies the demands of a holy God. Romans 3.25 declares, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. So it satisfies the demands of a holy God, and second, it meets the need of a guilty sinner. In Romans 3.23, we're told, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. However, in Galatians 3.22, the Bible says, but the scripture hath concluded all unto sin, that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. <clears throat> I'm glad to tell you this morning that the blood of Jesus Christ is sufficient for all. 
we read in, read in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 10, <clears throat> by the which we're sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Let's be reminded what we have in Christ. We have eternal life. We have his abiding presence. We have every need met in him. What is it? What is it about the blood? We saw the origin and its composition. Uh, we compared the blood of man with the blood of man of a holy God, and it's sufficient to satisfy the need of every sinner. The requirement for a blood sacrifice and a substitute began there in the Garden of Eden with God sacrificing an animal in the place of Adam and Eve. That blood sacrifice prefigured the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, who came to die for sinners. And only those who have put their faith in his shed blood on Calvary will have their sins forgiven. I want you to be sure, make certain this morning that your sins are under the blood. Would you stand please with your heads bowed?